Welcome to WADA, ADA Live Talk Radio, brought to you by Southeast ADA Center, your leader for information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And here's your host. Good afternoon and welcome to WADA ADA Live. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, I want to welcome you to episode 58 of ADA Live. Hi, everybody. My name is Barry Whaley. I'm the project director here at the Southeast ADA Center, and I'm your host for today. Today's episode on WADA Live, we're discussing the accessibility of health promotion activities for people with disability. All people have the right to conditions and resources that ensure optimal health. However, ingrained socioeconomic disadvantages and structural, programmatic, and attitudinal barriers within the community are now widely recognized as major contributors to health disparities experienced by people with disabilities. The lack of participation in physical activity is a serious public health concern for all Americans, but even more so for the approximately 56 million Americans who have disability, who are at much greater risk for developing serious health problems associated with a sedentary lifestyle. Before we begin, as a reminder, ADA Live listening audience, you can submit your questions about health communities and design at any time at adalive.org. It's my pleasure now to introduce today's guest from the National Center on Health, Physical Activity, and Disability, otherwise known as NICPAD, Amy Raworth, Director of Policy and Public Affairs for the Lakeshore Foundation and Associate Director of NICPAD. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm great. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Amy, let's let's start with, with NICPAD. That's an interesting acronym. What does that mean? It is. We added the H later, so it is silent. Um, but we are one of the national centers for health promotion for people with disabilities that are funded through the Centers for Disease Control and specifically the National Center on Birth Defects and Developmental Disabilities. So our focus is to um, assist in improving the health and wellness and quality of life of people with disabilities. And we have a variety of resources at NICPAD.org, and that those can benefit people with disabilities across um, the lifespan. Um, we operate here at Lakeshore Foundation in Birmingham, Alabama as part of the UAB Lakeshore Research Collaborative, and that's a, it's a pretty great place to be because here we do activity, research, and advocacy, and I think NICPAD is the best example of the culmination of all of those things put together. Um, so we're, we're really happy to be here, and we're happy to translate what sometimes takes so long to get to the community, um, that specific research or the, or the benefit of evidence-based programs into practice immediately and provide it to the nation. Great. I, I've had the opportunity to tour at Lakeshore Foundation. You guys do amazing work. You have an amazing facility down in Birmingham. I was very impressed. Amy, why is it important for people with disabilities in particular to be active? Well, physical activity is important for everyone, and we know that, and it makes it hard. Every day we get up and we make a choice. Um, of what we're going to eat, of if we're going to be active, of what we're going to do. And we know that, you know, it's generally recommended 30 minutes of physical activity a day, but we know that people with disabilities 
oftentimes are not meeting um, those guidelines. In general, adults are only meeting that about 20% of the time. And it's estimated that there are over 300,000 deaths a year due to physical inactivity and poor nutrition. So we know that people with disabilities are at an even greater health risk due to oftentimes a lack of access and, and the increased prevalence of conditions that are secondary to the, to the primary disability. And even some research shows that, that persons with disabilities um, are only get about uh, half uh, or no uh, physical activity at all um, that's recommended. So it's really important for people with disabilities to be active because we know that the research shows us that um, the chronic conditions that we all um, are likely to experience if we're sedentary are at an increased risk for people with disabilities. And we have to get away from thinking, at least in the public health realm and perhaps in the healthcare environment, that having a disability is an outcome. It absolutely is not. Disability is a demographic, and being healthy and having a disability is not an oxymoron. Well put. Amy, you mentioned the recommended amount of daily activity and, and the fact that not all of us are getting it, and that's especially true for people um, who have disabilities. Is it different for people with disabilities in regard to the amount of activity they should get in a day? It absolutely is not different. Um, physical activity has been stated by so many people to be the wonder drug. If we all had to do one thing, um, being active or avoiding sedentary behavior is one of the most important things you can do to increase your quality of life and longevity. And um, physical activity is recommended for all Americans. Um, that's and the details are 75 minutes of, of vigorous or intense aerobic activity or 150 minutes of moderate um, aerobic activity. And that's really, really important that the evidence shows that people with disabilities do more harm by being sedentary than by being active. But what we suggest is that you start where you're at and increase slowly and gradually. If you have concerns or you've been inactive for a long period of time, then perhaps seek advice from your healthcare provider to make sure that you don't have increased risk of some of those chronic disease that we talked about earlier, like heart attack or stroke. Um, but absolutely, the bottom line and the most important message is that people with disabilities should avoid sedentary behavior and should be physically active and try to reach those approximately 30 minutes of physical activity a day um, if possible. I think that's the thing that, that you point out, considering that people may not get the amount of exercise they need or, or may have very little exercise, it's always a good idea to do this with um, consultation with a physician or, or other medical provider, especially if you have chronic health conditions, right? Right. But absolutely, we do not want to put up more barriers for people with disabilities to be active. And so that's really important. And so what we suggest and encourage is actually to look at your risk for those um, chronic diseases or for active uh, what we call metabolic diseases or disorders. So if you're at an increased risk, perhaps you have high cholesterol, um, you're a smoker, and you've been inactive, then, then yes, absolutely, you should seek guidance from um, your health care provider. But I think it's important to know that, again, people with disabilities Having a disability is not a state of sickness or illness, um, but it absolutely can be benefited by being physically active, even, even in small increments of time um, throughout the day. Great. Thank you very much, Amy. Amy, going back to your organization, NICPAD, what, what is NICPAD doing to increase health-promoting opportunities for people with disabilities? Oh, goodness. Um, we are really trying to uh, create access and opportunity and increase that um, for all people, um, 
um, including people with disabilities. So much of our work is um, based on kind of a two-track approach. So we know that at times um, adapted programming, for example, like when you visited Lakeshore, you probably saw our wheelchair basketball team practicing. Um, but we also know that it's important for that same um, child to be able to participate perhaps in an inclusive track and field sport at their school. So we look at the need for a targeted approach to a specific um, population like the adapted wheelchair basketball, but we also understand that inclusion is so important to how people are perceived in society, and it goes far beyond um, the physical benefits that you receive from being active with a group of your peers. And so um, NICPAD is providing um, adapted evidence-based programs nationally. In fact, we've worked on about 10 of those to date. Some of those include um, programs like Girls on the Run. Uh, we also have worked with Spark and Catch after-school programming for um, youth. And we've worked with um, the Diabetes Prevention Program, Prevent T2 for All. Those are just a few of the 10 programs that we've looked at um, to really determine how we can create access because so much of these evidence-based programs were developed without the inclusion of people with disabilities. Many times the research starts and they have exclusion criteria and inevitably a person with a disability is excluded and not um, part of that cohort. So we have to go back and look at um, the barriers that people with disabilities may face in participation, and then we work to address those in our inclusionary um, guidelines and methods, and then we release that program out to the public so that it gets the support that it needs and inclusion that it's, that um, people with disabilities need in mainstream programming. So if, it, if there's a program at your local Y or at your after-school program, we want it to be inclusive and provide opportunities for all people, including people with disabilities. Additionally, NICPAD recently created a funding opportunity announcement, uh, and we are utilizing a framework of, uh, it sounds scientific, but an implementation science framework to actually see some community change. So here you'll kind of hear that research jargon. But it's really important is we don't just do things because we think they work. We do them because they know that it's been evidenced by the research and the literature that they do work. So we utilize that framework in a community action plan, and we were able to fund three states. Uh, we funded uh, Minnesota, South Carolina, and Florida to not only implement adapted programs that we've provided, but also to really look at the whole co community and create that community change that we would like to see with technical assistance and support from us, but with their local context uh, to create that change and make it sustainable. That sounds like a fantastic project. Thank you for sharing that. And, and just a word on, on inclusion, I am sure that, that in addition to the health benefits associated uh, with inclusive programming, also the social benefit that people have in being a part of a team or, or being a part of an exercise cohort is very important for folks. Absolutely. The kids learn um, from each other, and they actually um, feel more accepted when they have friends ask them to play. And if the environment is constructed in a way that they can't go out and play with their peers, um, that's, that's a significant barrier, and we really want to address that. And even though uh, the ADA has been around for all of these years, we know that there are still – built environment issues. There are uh, programmatic issues if you need effective communication. And, and there's also attitudinal issues that perhaps um, it's, someone may not feel welcomed or may not feel as though that program or that opportunity or that um, chance to play on the playground is, is open to them. 
That's great. Thank you, Amy. Uh, ADA Live listening audience, if you have questions about any of our ADA Live topics, you can submit your questions at any time at our online forum at adalive.org. And I want to pause for a minute for a word from our sponsor, the National Center on Health, Physical Activity, and Disability, Nick Padden. The National Center on Health, Physical Activity, and Disability, otherwise known as NICPAD, is a public health practice and resource center on health promotion for people with disability and other chronic health conditions through physical activity, sport, recreation, advocacy, training, policy, and research. Additionally, NICPAD conducts national initiatives to educate disability and non-disability service providers and community health inclusion. NICPAD is creating local level sustainability and inclusion through inclusive health coalitions across the United States that promote community and individual behavior change, focusing on leadership and planning strategies which support community health inclusion. NICPAD features a variety of resources and services which can benefit all ages and populations. To learn more, visit their website at www.nchpad.org. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the show. We're having an interesting conversation with Amy Raworth. She is the Director of Policy and Public Affairs for the Lakeshore Foundation and the Associate Director of NICPAD, the National Center on Health, Physical Activity, and Disability. So, Amy, I'm curious, what tools can people with disabilities and their allies use to create healthy change in their communities? Well, first and foremost, I think good advocacy goes a long way. So um, good advocacy is about representation, mobilization, and empowerment, and absolutely should start with the disability community. And so nothing about us without us should be ingrained in all it is that we do in our outreach efforts, because if we're working to create change in the community, it's important to involve all community members, and specifically for this inclusion of people with disabilities, it has to come from them. It has to be what they want. Uh, so we have several different types of tools in NICPAD. We have uh, research tools or tools that can assess the environment. Um, so we have a community health inclusion index that um, looks at how inclusive um, healthy opportunities are within that community, and our inclusive health coalitions have utilized that tool. And it really um, gets from a, a macro to a micro level and can address issues at an organization specifically. So, for example, if you're, if you're going to a school system or if you're going to uh, a local fitness center, you can really look at the policies and the infrastructure and how it's created to support people with disabilities or perhaps not. And it, it allows you a place to start and to have a conversation. And so much we know about good advocacy is promoting awareness. And so the more we can make people aware of the needs and, and the um, alterations perhaps in programming or services that people with disabilities need or require, uh, the better those programs can be inclusive. So I mentioned the Community Health Inclusion Index. We also have some tools that focus on coalition building, and CDC has created the Community um, Health Inclusion Sustainable Planning Guide. That's a mouthful, but we call it the CHIST for short, and that's our addendum um, that addresses disability inclusion. So if you already have a health coalition out there and you want to go join and be part of it, I think that's really important and profound, whether or not you're a health professional or whether you're 
providing your experience as a person living with a disability. It's important that disability organizations be at the table when public health initiatives are under underway, specifically and more importantly around community design, because we know that the community can, that design can be the source of or the solution to um, many issues that people with disabilities face um, that are either unjust or perhaps increased health disparities. That's a very good point. Thank you, Amy. Um, so we've referenced inclusion several times. <clears throat> um, I'm curious if, if, if you can talk about your definition of inclusion and, and, and maybe tie that in with uh, uh, something that, that uh, I'm aware of, your, your Commit to Inclusion campaign. Setting expectations of inclusion is really important because I think that's where we, we need to start sometimes is if our expectations are not met, we won't have a good experience. And so we uh, pulled together a team of 12 experts nationally to come up with a definition of inclusion. And that wasn't an easy feat because, like, like I said, there's many different disability definitions. There's also many um, contextual definitions of inclusion depending on what targeted sector you're coming from in the community. So our specific definition is inclusion means to transform communities based on social justice principles in which all people in the communities are presumed competent, are recruited and welcomed as valued members of their community, they can fully participate and learn with their peers, and they experience reciprocal social relationships. And I think in general that's what we all want, um, but I think it's really important to state that in front, what our expectations of inclusion are, and defining that really goes a long way. Amy, how can we ensure that, that people with disabilities are included in program policies and objectives? I mean, it doesn't just magically happen. There has to be an effort. No, you're right. You're right. And we created a, a, a global campaign, actually, called Commit to Inclusion um, to really address those exclusionary practices. And it started out with a, a U.S.-based launched, um, and then it went international, and we've um, reinvigorate, reinvigorated it with a partnership for inclusive health. And so what we started with was kind of a recipe with um, much of the foundational research that's been done in disability. Um, we've built upon that, and from that, we've taken nine guidelines of disability inclusion. So we really think it's important that all organizations, whether they be um, government organizations, private or nonprofit organizations, that they look at, look at these specific areas. And if they do so, they're much more likely to be inclusive of people with disabilities. So in the program development and the implementation and in the valuation um, component, people with disabilities should be included. And it's important that uh, their, their disability representation be there and have a say at the very beginning. So not that we're serving up an afterthought or we're checking a box later. It's at, from the very get-go. Um, we also know that a program should be accessible to people with disabilities and other users, not just accessible in the built environment, but socially, behaviorally, and um, with effective of communication, for example, if, a, if an interpreter is, is required, that's something we need to think about at the forefront of the development of our programs. Um, we also know that the program should address that individual's needs. So it's really important to understand um, and address the individual. So not everybody is the same, regardless of if you've worked with someone who is blind before or someone who utilizes a wheelchair. It, 
we should really be looking at the individual. And in all honesty, that's what you do when you create successful health promotion programs is you're really looking at the individual level. Um, we also know that um, there should be an outreach effort because we hear so many times, oh, yeah, we put the um, arm ergometer or what you might know, a crank cycle in the corner over there because we don't have anybody with a, with a disability that comes into our fitness center. So nobody really uses that. And what we would suggest and encourage then is, for example, are you targeting or um, marketing to people with disabilities? So does your um, flyers, does your programming materials um, indicate or, or show a person with a disability utilizing your services or programs? So that's really important. Um, we also know that um, programs should address potential resource implica implications at the get-go. So we talked about that. If there's training that needs to be provided to the staff, that needs to be thought of um, at the beginning. Uh, or the inception of the program. We also know that um, perhaps sliding fee scales should be available and that programs should be affordable to people with disabilities. And then wrapping it all up in the end, we know that we have to have uh, a transparent monitoring process. So we need to have an open feedback loop with people with disabilities to provide their, their comments and suggestions on how to improve that program or that service. And then we need to be able to take that into consideration and understand that um, in this instance, we're asking the expert. The person with the disability is the expert, regardless of how many years I've been in my field. I want to enter that conversation with that understanding, knowing that they're bringing to me their, their experience that will only make my program better. And then in the end, we have to make sure that the program is actually addressing outcomes that we want to see happen. So it, it sounds technical, but it's really what all good programs are, how all good programs are created. So inclusion itself becomes, uh, for lack of a better term, Amy, I mean, there's, there's a certain mindfulness to inclusion to make sure our programs, our services, the things we provide, the, the exercise facilities are, are all geared toward a broad range universally for, for people to utilize. Absolutely. Universal design is so important. It's important in uh, the community, and we know that um, people with disabilities and including people who are aging. Uh, so from the census data from 2000 to 2030, we know that the number of individuals over the age of 65 will double. And so that's a significant number of people who will be over the age of 65. And we know that as you age, you get an increased chance of having a mobility limitation. And so we really need to think about how we're designing our communities now and what services and programs we're providing now so that it, they can be accessible to our entire population. And universal design, as you mentioned, is really the best approach. Um, for example, why should there only be one stall in the restroom that's accessible? Why shouldn't they all be accessible? Uh, those are just common little things. Or, or um, a unisex bathroom is, is accessible for a person who has a caregiver of the opposite sex, but it's also great for a parent of a child of the opposite sex that may need to change clothes or get ready for an activity. So universal design is really the best way to go, and I think we're understanding that it doesn't cost more. It just requires some input at the get-go, and it, it requires feedback, a feedback loop. And um, really, if we can begin to design our communities more universally, I think um, we'll all be better served. Well said. Thank you, Amy. A Amy, what, what policies, systems, environmental change can support inclusive community efforts? Can, can you give me some examples? Sure. Um, 
you know, policy sounds like such a daunting thing, and we talk a lot of, a lot of times about big P policy, so that's something that's actually um, in either your, your state or your local municipality, you know, law, or even little p policies. So what are the policies with organizations and in their delivery of services and programs? So there are ways to create change through policy um, that doesn't have to take a long time and doesn't have to enter in even to the legislative process. But um, one example is uh, complete streets. So complete streets, uh, they really look at um, usability and for everyone, um, and looking at the safety of not only um, pedestrians, but bicyclists, motorists, um, transit riders, and people of all ages and abilities. So it's about creating um, environments that uh, value all users. And you're you usually will recognize it when you're in a place and you know that there's great placemaking happening and there's mixed use and there's stores that you can visit and there's people that maybe live above those stores and there's transit stops that are accessible um, and you can get to that environment and you can you, you kind of want to stay longer. Uh, they're designed better. Um, they're more welcoming. And complete streets policy is one way to do that. Um, we've seen some great success and advocacy efforts around complete streets um, and many times, many places first adopt uh, um, a resolution, and that just means that they they understand and prioritize the design of the community for all people um, and all users, not just cars, getting from point A to point B quickly. Um, but then the next step is to really advocate for those complete street um, ordinances that have a little bit more teeth to them so that when um, sidewalks are put in place or when um, construction is done, that they need to address um, all all users when they do that because of course we know that with the ADA it doesn't require sidewalks where none exist but we know if we have a complete street ordinance it prioritizes all users which would require sidewalks to be put into place so um, complete street advocacy is a great thing that people with disabilities and disability organizations can participate in um, there's a lot around active transportation that's going on out there and I think the disability community voices need to be heard in those situations. Uh, we've had some successful cases here in Birmingham, but it wasn't fast. Uh, the, the resolution began in 2011 for complete streets policies in Birmingham, and um, the resolution, excuse me, began in 2011, and the actual ordinance was just passed this March um, unanimously, but it really was with a lot of individual user groups, a lot of advocacy efforts, um, people with disabilities showing up at the city council meeting meetings, and really giving a narrative to the case of what it means to be um, valued and included um, in community design, because policy can sometimes feel like it's not something that touches you in your home, or it's not something that touches you um, on a daily basis, but when we um, turn that light switch on and, and people start to see it through the eyes and through the narratives of, of people experiencing these barriers, it makes a very profound difference, um, and I think that's one of the best ways is that narrative, storytelling, um, putting a face to policy and how it affects you um, is something that we all need to utilize our voice and advocate for the change that would, that would benefit us. Well, yeah, congratulations on, on your work in Birmingham in particular. You, you know, when we talk about complete streets, possibly the, the easiest or the simplest thing we can do for, for, for fitness and activity is walking. And, and walking for public health now is a, is a hot topic. Uh, how have you addressed walking and walkable communities within and for the, dis, the, the disability community? 
Well, I think just the term walking sometimes can feel either welcoming or not. And as a result of the recent Surgeon General's call to action on walking, we heard from the disability community. So we heard the voices that people said, oh, here we go again, another public health campaign that's not going to include me and is going to focus on something that perhaps I don't participate in. And we worked with um, the team that, that eventually put out the Surgeon General's call for action, and I encourage you to, to go look at it um, and to even listen to the recording that occurred a few years ago. If, if It had a very significant, inclusive um, component throughout it. And and um, I think that just the term how I walk, we knew that we needed to rebrand that. So we created a movement to rebrand the word walking by challenging individual and societal perspectives. The, the, and, and this campaign can be found. You can, you can look it up on Nick Pad at How I Walk. And it basically looks to influence perspectives on walking and by encouraging kind of the transformation in individual and societal attitudes about what does that mean? What does walking mean? I know that when I go for a walk with my friends who utilize wheelchairs, we call it walking. Um, we don't we don't say let's go walk and roll. Um, so we, we wanted to really spur that kind of rebranding and um, make sure that health promotion providers and walking advocates utilize that term um, for all of their walking initiatives. And we want to inspire self-advocates. So we want to encourage consumers to become their own self-advocates by sharing the mode of walking through social media activation. So this is a campaign that's easily usable by anyone. Um, you can utilize the tools. You can push it out. If you're part of a coalition in your community, if you're part of a, a walking club, if you just want to start one, this is a great way that has educational tools. It um, creates how to, it gives you resources on how to create activity friendliness in an area. It talks about um, community and it's, it's a great, it's a great way to start a program. Um, and make it more inclusive in the walking environment. So um, how I walk and, and how you do that is uh, depends on you personally, and we encourage people to share their story about how they walk. So Thank you, Amy. So, so beyond rebranding, what are some other things that people with disabilities and their allies, what, what can they do to create healthy communities? Well, I, I have some great examples, and that's often how um, – how we extend and create more opportunities, looking at what's worked to begin with. And um, we, we partnered with America Walks for designing inclusive, healthy micro grants. And they were small amounts of money that we provided in partnership with America Walks and, and Nick Pat and Lakeshore. And it was really to promote that How I Walk campaign, but to really take it into the community and to utilize the participation of disability organizations in that um, healthy community design process. Uh, a few different ways that they did that is we were able to um, provide funding for Access Portsmouth in New Hampshire. And um, what they did is uh, they actually went out and um, looked at their entire downtown and utilized Google Maps. So there's some great technology out there, whether it be Google Maps or um, WheelMap. Uh, there's also accessibility.cloud where you can look up things all over the world that um, basically identify access um, positive and negative issues for people who might use wheelchairs. And they went out and did their entire downtown, and as a result of that, um, they've had even greater community change. Uh, we also funded um, Hanover County Health Department, and what they did is they created opportunities for um, 
inclusive walk audits. So it really is about taking that civil action to the next step and looking at walk audits um, and how you can go out and participate with um, your city planners or people in power that can make the change um, in the roads or the infrastructure that you would like to see that would be more accessible to people with disabilities. And so there's some great tools out there for walk audits, whether it be AARP's tool for walk audits. Um, but I think that's a great way um, training people with disabilities to be walk audit leaders and then engaging with the community to go out and view their community through the eyes of a person who may utilize a wheelchair. And, and it makes a powerful impact and, and connects um, to perhaps where uh, that those funds, if they're limited, can be utilized to create a better, healthy community. That's really cool. Thank you, Amy. That, that sounds like a great project. Amy, we're about out of time, and I want to ask you, how can people find out more about health promotion and, and especially the various activities uh, of NICPAD after uh, our conversation today? Well, of course, they can go to our website. I know it was mentioned before. It's um, nickpad.org. Uh, we have a toll-free number that's 800 900 8086. We have voice and TTY. Um, or you can send an email or even live chat. The email address is email at nickpad.org. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And we encourage you to let us know what you think. If you see a need, we want to know and we'll, we'll partner with you um, because uh, we really feel that's the best way to collaborate. And uh, let us know and, and give us your feedback on how you're, how you're living that healthy, active lifestyle. Wonderful. Th thank you for being our guest today, Amy. Uh, it's been very informative. I appreciate it. Um, folks, this episode and all previous ADA episode, WADA episodes are available on our website at adalive.org. Uh, our episodes are archived in a variety of formats, including, including streamed audio from our website, accessible transcripts of audio, and also available to download as podcasts to listen at, at your convenience. I do want to thank you, our ADA Live listening audience, for tuning in today. As always, we're thankful for your support and listening to our series of ADA Live broadcasts. And remember, you can submit your questions on this or any topic by going to adalive.org. And I hope you'll join us on July 4th, 2018, uh, my favorite holiday, for our next episode of ADA Live. It'll be a rebroadcast of our very popular beach access topic. If you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, please contact our center at 800-949-4232. And remember, all calls are free and they're confidential. Thank you for listening to ADA Live Talk Radio. Brought to you by the Southeast ADA Center. Remember to join us the first Wednesday of each month for another ADA topic. And you can call 1-800-949-4232 for answers to your ADA questions.